Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Wednesday, April 5th. And if it's Wednesday, that means Paul Strilo's midweek recruiting insider is up at tigerillustrated.com. And it is chock full of good insight, intel on not just recruiting, also some insight into Troy Stellato as he tries to prove that he can stay injury-free moving forward. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse and neglect, car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union? If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Matt Gross is a proud Clemson alum and the vice president for the Clemson market for Founders Federal Credit Union. Matt's office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. Okay, to our conversation with one of my favorite recurring guests of the podcast, Patrick Sapp, former Clemson football player, also father, current tight end, Josh Sapp. Great stuff here. Here we go. All right, joined once again by Patrick Sapp. How you doing, sir? I am doing good, brother. How are you? Doing fantastic. Um, doing fantastic. What are you up to these days? Are you still doing the um, the Top Golf, um, in the hotel and Hyatt thing, or? I am doing something now. Uh, about the last eight months to year that I've been really passionate about. It was kind of something I've always wanted to do. Um, what my education is in. And and so now, man, I'm, I'm co-owners in a mental health, uh, agency here in Greenville. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's always been a passion of mine, mental health. And, and, uh, fortunately at this stage of my life, uh, I'm finally doing, you know, one of the big things that I truly love and that is rewarding on a daily basis. So it's been, it's been fun. Uh, it's universal therapeutic services right here in Greenville. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm seeing clients myself, but also, uh, it's me and, a, and another partner that are owners in the business. 
Um, and, and so it's been, it's been fun. We see kids from four years old all the way up to the elderly uh, with all the different types of mental health concerns and issues that you could think of is, is kind of our client based. And so it's been, it's been really rewarding, man. I'm in a, I'm in a happy, happy place. Oh, that's great, man. Congratulations. Uh, hard to, probably hard to describe just what, um, mixing a profession with the sort of personal, you know, like just the fulfillment that, that that's great. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I, I knew I always wanted to get to this. And I had an opportunity this year. The company is five years old, so it's been in existence for five years and doing a lot of great service. And, uh, and I had an opportunity to become a partner uh, in it. And uh, and I took it. And uh, and so I, I, can't, I can't be happier, man. I'm, I'm, really, I'm really at home at what I'm doing now. As the father of a, of an athlete at Clemson, and as a former athlete yourself from way back when, <laughs> yeah. and, al- and also the coach, <laughs> and also a coach of a, a Greenville High School, um, you probably have a pretty good window into um, some of the mental health topics and sort of the maybe a contrast with the 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 mental health issues of, of, of your time were probably different in that today's athlete is in such a prominent place, a more, a more, much more prominent place, uh, compared to when, when you were playing just simply because of social media and all that, man, I guess we can jump off into that because that is a very big topic nowadays that I think any coach, any <coughs> coach, Debo Sweeney and any other coach who's, who's worth his whistle or salary, so to speak, um, is certainly placing a big emphasis on this um, as, as something that has to be sort of tackled head on and addressed. Yeah, I, I would, I mean, I think you're dead on. It's definitely a different world from my time, so to speak, to now what athletes are dealing with on the big stage, right? Uh, and I think the big stage is is relative to each situation, each school, uh, regardless of the size. I think football is just such a popular sport if we're talking about football. But in all sports, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a high demand and, and a public figure. Uh, and I think social media, you know, really uh, sheds a light on that because now your life is so public uh, so early on in the process. Um, and you're dealing with immaturity and young people having a big platform. And so they don't always make the right decisions with that. Um, and then you got to understand the emotional side around, uh, what social media does, right? If people agree with you and love you and likes and all that becomes important, but also with that criticism becomes important. And what people say, and people could say anything, and people could agree with anything. And so it's really trying to help athletes navigate uh, that is truly about where you're at and truly about what's inside of you and truly about your own thoughts, more so than it is what's out there. You can't say stay away from it. You can't say, hey, stay off of it. You know, it's just not reality anymore. 
I mean, because every business you could think of, uh, every sport you could think of uses social media itself to promote itself, to find customers, to uh, get people to support. And so individual athletes are no different than that. You know, it's, it's a part of their brand. Um, so that's the huge negative about it. But I think the positives that are different than my time is that we did not truly understand our value and our brand. And, I, you know, I've always spoke about understanding your brand as a young man and as a college athlete. And even before that, we, we didn't know that. We, we didn't understand that. We all have one. But, but these, these young men and women begin to understand that brand at a much earlier age and also, you know, protect that brand a little better than we did and use it, quite frankly, uh, better than, than we did. So I think that's the positive about it. Uh, but you can't mention the positives without the negatives. And I think the negatives, potential negatives, far outweigh what the positives are. What did criticism look like for you back in the early 90s? <laughs> Like what was it? I mean, obviously, the yeah, only, I guess yeah, the only yeah. the only sort of medium that where fans could really get to you, I guess, with criticism was radio, and maybe physically at the <laughs> at the games <laughs> when they're like booing or something. But that's it. Like that. I, is there any, any or were there any other ways that criticism sort of yeah. reached you? Yeah, I would say. You know, definitely, you know, something I've been in in my career is radio and definitely that platform. And I think that's always kept me mindful of the things that I've said on air or about a, about an athlete uh, because I, you know, I was there. You know, I was a quarterback that had some, some great success, but also some failures. And so that's one of those positions that everybody loves to critique the quarterback, right? <laughs> yeah. And very few people could play it, ever play it. But, Everybody critiques that position, which is rightfully so. Um, but yeah, radio was huge because that's where people could really voice their opinion and a lot of people could hear it, right? Um, it, believe it or not, the mail, you you received mail. I think mails was so big back then. You know, you got to, you know, you would, on a week at Clemson, man, I would probably get two, 300 letters. What? So, yeah. And it would be a lot of good, a lot of people talk about their history. Uh, not a lot of negative things from that point of view, but you you would get a lot of love and a lot of support through the mail. Uh, I don't know what the kids get now. They probably don't get a lot of it. Uh, maybe autograph uh, request or something like that. Um, and then, you know, write-ups, newspapers, uh, magazines, uh, for the most part, you know, writers would critique you through their magazine subscriptions and uh, and writers from the newspaper. Uh, a lot of times may take quotes and stuff like that, but nothing like today, man. You know, people can instantly put something out there about you right now and, and you know, a thousand people can comment on it. So it's it's just a lot tougher right now. It's so kind of fascinating how talking about the the media, sort of the traditional form of media, like you have your 
people who are credentialed to cover Clemson or what whatever other team and then the national media. There's that sort of category and then there's the social media. And it's like it seems like the social media has become a bigger enemy of <laughs> of program of, of teams than the actual media, but then it sort of gets it sort of blends together in the perception of teams because, you know, as coaches, you're trying to motivate your players and you're like, look at what this person said, you know, and right. you know, bulletin board stuff. And I actually, something that's been on my mind for the last couple of days is the women's basketball uh, incident, at the final four, which I it was the first women's basketball I've watched in a long, long time. So I'm definitely a fish out of water there, but, both Don Staley, South Carolina's coach, and um, Angel Reese in press conferences both said, hey, you know, we're not thugs and and the narrative is that we're ghetto and this and that. And even uh, Don Staley said, we're not monkeys and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wait a minute. I If somebody wrote that, like an actual media member wrote that type of narrative in an article, it would be hugely controversial. And so what I'm thinking is that in both of those cases, it's the social media, it's the absolute like gutter commentary that you get and that I guess they see on Twitter and other platforms that the established sort of media is certainly not writing, at least that I'm aware of, because I think if somebody wrote something like that in a professional capacity, we would all be aware of it because it would be a major, uh, it would be a major controversy. What do you get where I'm going with that? How the, these yeah. two separate things and one is the, just these crazies who you just have this, this cesspool of, of, of craziness on social media where people could just say whatever the hell they want to behind a, <laughs> behind an anonymous, uh, handle or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I, I kind of, and I saw Don Staley's uh, comment and what I read in that was that it was some folks talking offline. Right. About her and, or the team and it got back to her uh-huh. from a source. And I think that's where that came from. And then I think the criticism, you know, early in the year about how physical, you know, uh, that they were playing and, and and the way that they played. I think that was UConn's coach that kind of made those comments. That's right. Yep. And so so I think the combination of that, you know, she took offense to. Um, and I'm sure for her to mention it on that platform, it was probably a pretty reliable source that 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 uh, she spoke to. Um, and so I think that's where her response was. And I think Angel Reese, I think just to comment on how she was taunting uh, and, the, and the young lady from Iowa was kind of doing the same thing and how people reacted to her more so than the other young lady. Uh, I can't remember her name from Iowa. The, Clark. The, yeah, the best basketball player I've ever seen. <laughs> 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 I shouldn't forget that name. But uh, she uh, – and I think how people responded to her and then responded to Clark. And so I think it was a bias in their mind. Um, and, and I think that's what they're responding to. And, and I think you're right. I think the problem – 
that I have, if I have any with the media, because I'm a part of the media, you know, I do the little Fox show uh, and have done a lot of, you know, with the radio stuff. So I'm, I'm careful as to how I say that. But I think the difference is that everything is opinionated now with with mainstream media, right? It's very few, you know, you may have factual things that are reported, but then you come behind the facts and you give opinion about the facts. And so, and the opinion is all social media. And so you can't tell the difference in the world nowadays. They live so close together that you, you, you listen to a, a, a respectable news outlet and the rhetoric sometimes is no different than yeah. social media yeah. or, or it's close. So I think that's, I think that's the dangerous side of it. And I think facts don't matter to people anymore. It's about how I feel about what I'm reading more so than what the truth is. And, and I think people uh, that sell the news have learned that. And so you write that way, you communicate that way and more people respond to it. it with, with regard to, to Reese and her pointing at her finger, you know, I got the ring, whatever the taunts. Um, right. Right. I, tell me what I'm missing because I didn't like it. And I guarantee you, had Trevor Lawrence done the same thing at the end of 44 to 16, you know, uh, right. pointing at uh, Tim Williams or one of those defensive linemen and pointing at his finger, I would have probably, I wouldn't have liked that either. Like I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, it seems like in, in the social media sphere that if you didn't like that and you said, come on, show some class, act like you've been there and you're white, that automatically means it has racist undertones. And I don't get that. Please help me understand, educate me on that and how that is fair for people just to throw that out there. When in a lot of cases, I kind of think that it doesn't matter what color the person is who's doing it. I think a lot of people be like, come on, act like you've been there before. Show some class. What am I missing? Right. Well, I think, I think you, you make a great point, Right. Um, but I think it's exactly kind of, you know, what we talked about earlier. I think a lot of us as minorities are defensive about things because of how things have been represented in the past. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can't run away from the past. Sometimes it comes up. And I do think that, you know, and I think here's where this issue come from in particular, right? So I think it's two parts. So this situation, Clark did some taunting herself. Yeah. And nobody really raised an issue about it at all. Nobody said classless. Nobody said any of those things. Just, hey, this is a good player. And she got an edge. And she plays hard. And she's hyper competitive. People use those terms when it came to Clark. She's just competitive. She's a competitor and, you know. She's, she has emotion about the game. But then Angel Reese does it. It's kind of said she's classless or she's taunting or I, like you've been there before. Well, she ain't been there before. Right. And she hadn't changed the way she played the game all year. Because the last game before this game, 
she drew a ring on her finger. I don't know if people remember that, but Mm -hmm. she took a Sharpie at the end of the game and drew a ring, and a couple other players did it on her team. So this wasn't, she just didn't do that all of a sudden against ours. She had already done it. And if you watch her play against South Carolina, against anybody all year, she's a very emotional player. She talks smack the whole game, which as a former athlete, I love it. (laughs) It's competitive to me, regardless of what color you are. I love it. Yeah. And I and I guarantee you, Clark response to that was genuine. Because when you're a competitor and somebody does that, it fuels you. You don't look at them like they're classes. You look at it like, I'm coming for revenge. That's how athletes look at it. When you could think about it, Deion Sanders one of the biggest trash talkers in the world. But guess what he did? He backed it up. <laughs> so yeah. you couldn't say, you couldn't say like, oh, this dude is classless. He's, hey, he was just better than everybody. And he knew it. So I think we all are different. So I think you see a difference in how athletes respond to that and a difference into to other folks. But I think race always get attached to it because of the scars of history with us as black people and yeah. minorities. And I think it's easy to jump to that. I'm not easy to jump to that person, but I've seen racism. I've seen things that are unfairly how they're reported or how they're talked about when it comes to one person to another. I know it exists. And I think right now, if you look at the world, everything has to be one way or another. Everything has to be polar opposite and everything has to be outlier. There's nothing in between. And I think you have people that said that was classless, that was not racist. And I don't think the majority of the people that said that was racist. But I think you have some that did. And then I think you have some 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 minorities that responded to that, that live way on the other side of that, that go respond to everything that happens that way. And I think you have a lot of minorities that's in the middle that, hey, I don't agree with that of a classless, or I do agree with that of a classless, that have a better pulse on things. So I think... The middle don't sell anything, right? The, yeah. mid, the middle don't get the clicks. The extremes get the clicks. And I think us as consumers of news and articles and write-ups, we got to be aware of how things really work to control our own space and our own head space about it. You know, I think that's no different than politics, man. It, it's the middle of the country should be the ones that are, that are the loudest in the speakers. But the middle don't have that loud voice because it don't move the needle. Their streams do. Also, there's the, you have to comment right away, <laughs> you know, on something. Yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. You know, I never said anything about the, about the Reese Clark thing, just because I, I'm like, ah, this is not my domain. I mean, I had my instant reaction to it, which I right. shared a few minutes ago, but as you pointed out, Context is very important. And, you know, I didn't mm-hmm. know, I didn't know until I read about it that, hey, Clark is a notorious trash talker. As she said afterwards, she said, I don't have a problem with what Reese did. We're two competitors, you know, cutthroat competitors. We go back and forth. And you look at the ratings for that final four and just through the freaking roof. Good for, good for that sport. 
But that means you had a lot of ca- very casual viewers who were probably watching for the first time. And yeah. that, that, those are the ingredients for that type of controversy because, or a reaction to it uh, being what it was, is you don't have a lot of people who are familiar with the context. Like you just said, you watched Reese for a lot of the season. That's just the type of player she is. And a lot of people didn't yeah. know that, that, that Clark did some of the same stuff. Um, <laughs> right, so right. anyway, my point is I'm glad I didn't comment on it publicly initially because I, <laughs> I would, after talking to you and after recon, you know, considering it more, I would probably have a more nuanced take on it, you know, reflective of, of the reality and context. Yeah. I, I just, Man, I I played against some guys and with some guys that are just to the extremes of everything, and a lot of that just in lines with their passion and personality. And I could guarantee you that that Angel Reese lives her life loud. I think she's a, a heck of a teammate to her teammate. I think she brings energy. She seems like she's one of those players that bring energy to practice and everything else. And I will say this, and I know this is not. I can't compare the two, but in some ways I can. And I'm not comparing the talent, but maybe I can. Is is Magic and Bird? Yeah. You know when they're they're in college, the way they competed, and and people didn't know Bird was dirty. Bird talked yep. smack. He was just as you know competitive as all get out. But his image was one way, and then here you have Magic. You know. This guy that just, you know, has this charisma, this trash talker. Uh, he's not really just about the game. He's about the showboating of the game. And it's like, no, you had two guys that was probably more competitive than anybody that they played against. And the package and the perception was written and perceived differently. And so I think you could say that about these two is that, Man, that, I could tell that uh, uh, the young lady from ours, she was competitive. Ain't no way you can play the way she played without having an edge. And uh, and I love it, man. I think it's good for the sport, and I, I'm glad young ladies get out there and have the passion like that. That's that's awesome for for the sport. What do you re- how do you react when uh, you hear people say, "Okay, well." college athletes are getting paid now through NIL and other means that that they weren't before. And so if they're getting paid now, we get to criticize them because they're basically, they're basically employees just like a, a, a professional endeavor. So I'm not going to hesitate to criticize them if they're not really student athletes. What do you, I don't, I'm guessing you've heard that line of thought. I'm just yeah. curious what you, what you think of it. Well, yeah, so it's a bunch of hats I can wear by <laughs> responding to that, but I'll just just say kind of where I truly stand with it. I don't see much wrong with criticizing players. Um, I think the personal things is where I have an issue with. But if you criticize my play on the field, Hey, I'm I'm a big boy, you know. I'm a big man, uh, you know. I I can deal with it. 
some can deal with it better than others. Um, and you pay, you pay a lot of money. A lot of people, if we particularly talk about Clemson, it's a lot of people. They pay a lot of money, man, coming to games and tailgating. And a lot of that's people's vacation money. They save up to, do, you know, to attend the games and to travel with the team. Uh, they invest invested financially, emotionally to the game. And Clemson budget is huge as the money they spend on football. So it should be criticized, and it's a part of the game. I don't have an issue with it, to be honest with you. Do I feel like it should be more now because kids are getting paid? No, because I think money is just an opportunity is just being distributed uh, equally now, or I shouldn't say equally, but better than it has been in the past where these young men and women couldn't receive anything. So I don't think comes with that comes more responsibility as to I should play better or I should make better decisions or I should be criticized more. I just think there's nothing wrong with being criticized, but I also think there's nothing wrong with coaches being criticized. And I also think there's nothing wrong with Dabo Sweeney being criticized. And I think that's where, like, if we're talking about Clemson, that's where I see a difference. We were criticized assistant coaches and players, but we won't criticize Coach Sweeney. And, I, you know, I understand why that is. I get it. But if you're looking at it fairly, and I'm just speaking to fans, speaking to anybody else, everything starts with the head coach. So failures in all of it, and he would tell you the same thing. My program starts with me. So if you criticize the players and the assistant coaches, the head coach should have the same criticism in there. It's just it's just how it is. That comes along with the job, and that's the facts. You're saying you don't think he has been criticized enough or proportional uh, proportionally to the way the assistants and players have been? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I don't think he's been criticized proportionally the way that they have. Hmm. I don't think it I don't think it exists that way. Not within Clemson's nation. Outside people, he's been criticized too much in my opinion. Meaning but, like but national everyday, media type folks. Yes, yeah. Yes. But the everyday folks, no, he don't. He don't get the criticism that the players and the assistants get. I mean, think about it. You know, if if you're looking at blogs and looking at responses, he he don't get criticized much. Well, he would probably disagree because <laughs> because on I'm signing sure he was because nobody wants to get <laughs> nobody wants to get criticized because on signing day this past February, I mean it was a calculated and full throttle um, sort of I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm, my, my words are failing me. Um, campaign, I don't know. Basically telling fans, hey, man, y'all are too entitled. Y'all, don't, y'all forget how hard it was for us to 
win an ACC title. And I mean, it was, uh, I don't know if you saw well, any well, of I it. I think, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think what he said is valid, but I'm saying that's not criticizing coach because I'm talking about the, the, the personal one-to-one criticism. It's the, it's the, de- it's the defensive coordinator, it's the offensive coordinator, it's the quarterback, it's the, the receiver coach. It's all those things is what we get. But nothing's re- rarely directed right at Coach Sweeney is what I'm saying. I'll, I'll, pro- I'm saying. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably respectfully disagree with you on that because I think that in, in this sort of snapshot of time, meaning the last year, like after Elliot leaves, I mean, Dabo really goes out on a limb um, in promoting Wes Goodwin from, I don't want to say nothing, but certainly not in a position of leadership. Um, definitely behind the scenes guy. I mean, that was an unprecedented move um, to fill the the, the shoes of or the the vacancy left by the arguably the top assistant in the game with Wes Goodwin, and then on the offensive side, not just promoting Streeter, you know, but the decisions to hire Spiller and Grisham, uh, Thomas Austin, inexperienced coaches. I mean, that that's that's totally fair to say. And so people, right. I think criticism of the assistants is really, in a sense, also, and probably fundamentally, criticism of the head coach for making those decisions, for taking those risks, when you people argue, you know, if you're that stature of winning two national titles in three years and going to four championship games in... I guess it was f- six years, five years. Um, you should go out and you know hire the biggest name that you can, which is exactly what he turned around and did <laughs> in January right. in hiring Garrett Riley. And then we haven't even gotten into the uh, the Daniel, uh, you know, the walk on sort of pipeline. That that I mean, there are plenty of people who aren't fans of that whole trend um in terms of what it what it does to maybe their overall scholarship numbers so i don't know I, again I, I i hear what you're saying i i just i think that he i, I it, it's almost like you know he's been here this is 14 years where he's going into his 15th season and i think people have gotten kind of i don't want to say spoiled but um they they lost some appreciation of of how hard it was and how special it was to, to get to the, you know, to win it all and to get there. Well, I think they appreciate it now for sure. I'm kind of rambling, but, <laughs> but um, anyway, kind of, that's that's interesting though. Really, really fascinating to hear. Um, yeah, I, and, I, and, I, and 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 again, like I, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, yeah, people talk about the program, and I guess when you say that, you could say. The criticism, criticizing Coach Sweeney because it is his program. But I don't hear people using Davo in his name in those terms. And I think that's why I'm saying I, I've, heard, I've seen him over and over talk about a particular player and talk about particular coaches. Yep. And all I'm saying is the responsibility is at the head coach. And as a player, I have my own responsibility. As a, and as an assistant, you have your responsibility. But I know he will tell you everything that we have starts with me. 
Um, and so when I say that, I'm not I'm not criticizing coach or saying he should get more blame or he made mistakes. I'm just saying as we talk about criticism, we I feel like fans come at it differently uh, than they do with a head coach and our assistant coaches and our players. And I think that's, to me, that's kind of what, that's my opinion about it. Um, but I would agree with his comments is that we have gotten spoiled and I have seen it and I still see it. You know, if we struggle to win a game, we, the offensive coordinators criticize, what are they doing? Or the defensive coordinator. I'm like, well, a win is a win. Last time I played football and it's hard to win games, but we expect it now. Or people want to 10 games. I'm going to save until we go to the playoffs. Like it's just automatic, you know, or the national championship game. And I remember the first time we played Alabama and national championship game, and we were so excited to go. And there was so many Clemson fans and the Alabama fans was just walking around like, <laughs> we done been here. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And I remember thinking like, man, they just dang on <laughs> conceited and spoiled. Like this is just, you know, another game to them. And for us, we like, we're on top of the, you know, on top of the moon. And sadly, that's where we are now at Clemson. It's well, like, well, maybe it's all related yeah. to your credit card payment. <laughs> <laughs> maybe those Alabama fans are like, God, right, right, that's right. a lot of money. Yeah. And now Clemson fans are like, oh, it's been a lot of money spent <laughs> over the last yeah, six, yeah, seven yeah. years. But, I, but you know, as a player, I know, you know, yeah, we're supposed to be firm and we play firm. But sometimes Furman come out and, and have a hell of a game plan, and they have good players too. And you just don't automatically beat them by 60. You know, and that day you may be a little off. That happens. Um, but guess what? We got to win. And I think that's what we got to get back to. And I know as a coach, that's your hardest job with every season is to say, hey, I don't care how many games we won last year. We are. We haven't won one game this year. You guys ain't won a game yet. You know, you've been here three years, but this season is totally different. And so you got to refocus those kids and put the hunger and the drive back into them every week and every season. And that's that's not an easy job when you've been on top of the, the hill for a long time. I do think it's fair for the head coach to say, hey – you know, the standard around here, um, you know, y'all used to be overjoyed, absolutely overjoyed with winning an ACC championship, and now it's just like ho-hum. I think it's totally fair for him to say that shouldn't be taken for granted. I shouldn't be taken for granted. But, and I think I wrote this a couple of days after after his sermon in February, when he steps to the top of the hill after he gets off the bus seven Saturdays, uh, uh, every fall, and he sees a full stadium, even for Furman, even for Louisiana Tech. He shouldn't take that for granted either because that's expensive <laughs> for a lot of fans to do that, to fill the stadium, even for the, the, the games that aren't so big. And it's rare. 
You know, you look at a lot mm. of the big stadiums out there right now. Um, they're not filled to that degree with that frequency. So maybe it's kind of a mutual thing. Both sides should maybe um, learn to better appreciate the other. A little bit. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that. That's why I said when you asked the question about players being criticized, and I'm like, yes, because that's a part of it. And it's a part of growing. That's a part of maturing as a person, but as a fan, that that comes along with with my ticket, the money I spend, my my season tickets, my parking, and all of that, and the experience that I'm gonna have. You know, it comes along with it, and uh, and people that's in it, you know, you should understand that. But like anything, you know, we can get bothered by it. At times, we can get tired of it at times, uh, you know, and we can we can succumb to it at times. There's just the human side of us, regardless of uh, who we are. And I think you always are going to see that in, in the sport. Some head coaches go fly off on criticism. Some players are going to fly off on criticism. I think I've seen it affect DJ's play last year. Mm. That he succumbed to criticism, uh, and so you know it affects us differently, and it affects us differently at different times. If you're in the Columbia or Sumter or PD areas, and you're in any way interested in buying and selling a home commercial property, land, need to consider reaching out to Uptown Realty. They're based out of Sumter and run by a friend of mine, Patrick Enzer, big Clemson guy, used to cover the Tigers in a newspaper capacity, longtime supporter of Tiger Illustrated, longtime listener to the Dubcast. The home buying process should be an enjoyable experience, so let Patrick and his staff do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call 803-774-0435 or go to Uptown Realty SC. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm, Smith & Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326- 3507. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experience team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris commercial. Dabo's decision to make a change at offensive coordinator might have been the most significant move he's made. It was definitely the the biggest splash he's made, I think, as far as making a move that a lot of people didn't anticipate and then following it by going out and getting a huge name, a name that is certainly bigger than Venables was when he pulled him from Oklahoma, certainly bigger than Chad Morris's was when he pulled him from Tulsa. Did you think it could happen? Did you think it would happen before it happened in the wake of the loss to Tennessee in the Orange Bowl? Because I didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah. So, 
here, uh, yes, I did think he was capable and could happen. When I was, you know, one of the things I almost had opportunity to coach with Coach Sweeney when he first took the job. And it just didn't work out for <laughs> things from the perception of the university at the time. So, Wait, what do you mean? I, <laughs> sounds like, well, sounds he, like that sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, like he, he, he wanted to hire Man LeVon as office analyst, defense analyst. But it didn't happen uh, because we were in that the recession in the in '08 and and '07 around that time, and the university had furloughed some people, and so having extra coaches was not a huge thing at the time. Uh, the Alabama was probably one of the few doing it mm. that athletics thought it wouldn't be a good look, so it never happened. Uh, one of the few coaches I would have coached with because I had other opportunities, but he was the one that I, that I would have taken because I felt like we aligned in a lot of ways and how we were and what, and coaching is not just coaching football, but it's raising men, right? And, it, and one of the biggest things about me about sports is the life lessons that it teaches. And I think he looks at it the same way. But anyway, to say that, when he fired Billy Napier, to me, I said, okay, he going to be successful. Not who he hired after Billy, which was a great hire with Chad, but when he fired him, because one of the toughest things in a lot of fairies of young coaches is they don't know how to separate friendship and coaching. It's hard for them to make the tough decisions. So when he made that decision, I was like, Coach gonna be successful, even though I thought he would be, but that sold me totally. And so when it came to to, to Brandon, I I love Brandon. You know, he was a freshman my last year. I've known him a long time. Would do anything for him, but I knew that decision had to be made. And when he made it, I was not surprised by it um, because I know he's able to make the tough decisions. And I know how much he care about Brandon and Brandon's family. And But he felt it was the right thing to do, and, and he did it. So I wasn't surprised. What does this mean? Does Does this... Does this mean Dabo is going to almost totally remove himself from the offense where he was definitely collaborating? I mean, I don't think he was sitting there calling all the plays, but he was certainly a part of the collaborative process with Streeter and with Tony in recent years. Does this? It feels like he's handing Garrett the keys and that Garrett wouldn't be here if he did not have the keys. And that is his show. Is that the way it feels to you? I think so. Because I don't think he really wants to dabble in the offense. Because when, again, a part of that hire, when he hired Chad, he knew he was not going to be able to, 
to dabble in the offense. And he knew that what was best, where he could focus on his talent. And his talent is messaging and motivation and communicating and building a culture. And you can't do that, calling offense or calling defense and being a head coach and and and, and, and dialing into each one of your players and investing in them uh, as players individually if you're doing all of those things. So I think he realized maybe this is too much of a strain on me and it's taking me away from what I'm good at. Um, so, yes, I think hiring Riley was a part of that decision. Give him the offense. Yeah, I'm going to learn it. But I don't need to be in the strategy of it and what to call and what not to call and the corrections and all those things. I think, you know, that's, that's just not what he's good at. And that's not his strength. When Chad got here, it was a totally different time with offensive football in, in the college game and that no huddle spread stuff was different back then, especially in the ACC. Um, nobody mm-hmm. else was really doing that type of thing. So it looked different instantly to the average fan. It feels like it's going to be harder to look different now um, with when you're trying to figure out what's different with Garrett, just simply because there's a lot of sameness with college offenses nowadays. How do you think it will yeah. look different to the the average fan? Will be able to say, "Oh, wow, this is the mechanics of this of this part of it are 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 different from from before." Just th- uh, throwing deep more, um, the tempo actually being up tempo more often. You know, those are the two main things. Throwing over the middle, perhaps. Yeah, I would. You know, a lot of schools run air raid principle offense, and this is what Garrett runs. And that that system was really built with a tight end being on the field ninety nine percent of the time uh, with that offense and. It's more about spreading the defense. Your concepts in the passing game are about finding those gaps and those holes and attacking uh, those gaps in the defense. But most importantly, it's an offense that you can change and counter routes and formations within real time once you learn the base of it. So it doesn't take a half to make adjustments. It don't take a series to make an adjustment. If I see something now, the way that it's designed, I'm able to change this route to that route in this personnel group and then keep all the concepts the same. And the quarterback understands it like that, and he can make those throws. And then it gives the quarterback opportunities to change plays from run to pass, pass to run, uh, as well as change routes without having to change the whole concept of the offense. So I think you'll say the offense is going to move, adjust. If the defense run a 3-3 stack, it's going to be effective against that. If they run a traditional 4-3 front, they're going to be able to attack that. If they are a nickel-type defense, you're going to be able to attack those things. So it gives you the option to change and be diverse on a dime. Uh, I think the biggest obvious change you're going to see the tight end and the 
in this offense, production go way up and be way more effective in this offense because he's going to be on the field 99% of the time and a lot of the passing game he's a part of. And so those those matchups with linebackers and safeties and those vertical throws in the middle of the field and crossing routes and flooding zones with, with guys are going to make it easier for Kate, but also the production from that position is going to, is going to increase. Um, so I think that's what fans will see. I think you'll see offense that can move the ball and be consistent moving it. Um, and I think you'll see some fun. You know, I think this offense fits a young quarterback um, because if you're just smart and you learn it and you know it and you know defenses, you can make a lot of the right decisions majority of the time. And they're not all, they're not all difficult throws. You know, it would be some easy throws for them. Is this offense similar to what y'all run at Greenville? Man, it is the exact same thing. Wow. Exact same offense. Um, and I mean, somewhat the same call. So when Riley came in, my son was, he called me like happy because he was like, dad, it's some of the same terminology and the exact same offense. And so we, you, you know, of course we use my son all over the field in that offense and and from what I've saw, the scrimmage of our going in the spring, you know, I think that's why he's having a lot of success with it. And, and uh, but Brennan Stool and Ennis and those guys are having success at that tight end position because it's valuable in this offense. Um, you can go fast without having to run the tight end off, run another receiver in, run to your receiver in, run the tight end off. No, it, 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 you put him in the backfield and block. You put him at the home spot and have him block it, catch the ball from there. Uh, a lot of misdirection with it. So it's fun for that group. You know, I know Coach Richland is, is happy because he's an air raid coach too. So I think the two of them together is going gonna, is gonna to have some, some good success. And uh, I asked Lemansky Hall a couple days ago, the defensive ends coach. I said, what, what does this new offense look like to you? What strikes you about it after having practiced against it for three weeks or whatever? He says, a lot of 12 personnel. So that's music, that's music <laughs> yeah. to the ears of tight ends. I don't know if that's a maybe in part because they don't have any receivers right now. You got seven scholarship receivers who are on the shelf. But no, I, it's – yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Now it's just it's the design of the offense. It's 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 the way it's designed. Um, if you everybody can't do it that way, but if you got receiving tight end that can block, but can actually run routes and got some speed and can get open, it's it's huge. I mean, because those guys are gonna be able to mismatch against linebackers and safeties. The guys that guard the middle of the field or nickelbacks. So if you got some good ones, you want to use it. You don't want to take them off the field. In a in a press conference, Garrett Riley comes across as mild mannered and gentlemanly. Um, you know, really nice guy. 
But then when you watch him on the field, he's commanding. Um, he is running that show when they're going through their tempo period. Booming voice, you know, let's go, let's go, finish. And it's his voice. Right. What have you been able to pick up um, just in the overall persona from him and also maybe the impression he made upon the first introduction to the offense back in <laughs> January or February? Yeah, that's a, a great point. A lot of people say that about Coach Sweeney, don't they? Man, he's such a nice, mild-mannered <laughs> guy. But if you go to practice and if you can hear – you would hear some choice words and a different personality <laughs> than you thought. Um, but yeah, I think he, you know, it's, it's fun to have a son on the team, but it's, and we get a chance to talk, but you know, he telling me about the first meeting they had and he was saying very seldom that does any other coaches in the past outside of maybe some defensive coaches that ever used some choice words in the meeting with the team in front of Coach Sweeney and, and uh, in that first meeting, you know, Riley uh, used some choice words <laughs> in that first introduction to the team. So he was like, that, you know, all those guys started smiling because, <laughs> you know, they, <laughs> they want a coach that coaches hard and that's passionate about the game. You know, and and he definitely brings that, which I'm happy about. You know, I think it'll be good for those guys. I don't want to overreact by saying, okay, the previous coaches were just too quiet or whatever, or you, you have to be loud and cuss to win. But the volume of the offensive side from the, in the last few years – it was just quiet out there at practices. And I guess part of that was, you know, you had mild-mannered quarterbacks, mainly DJ, uh, some Trevor as well, but Tony was really quiet. Brandon probably, you know, just not the forceful personalities. This feels more like Chad Morris uh, when he got here because he was so commanding and so forceful with, with his presence. Is that, does that feel like, feel, feel that way to you as well? Yeah, and I never want to coach. You know, the worst thing you could do as a coach is to be somebody you're not because yeah. players can see that a mile away. And once they sense that, you have lost them. I don't care what you do, you lost those kids at that point. So I never want somebody to be loud just to be loud or to be forceful to be forceful or, you know, be who you are personality wise. And. You know, if you if you see that program, Coach Coach Sweeney, I don't know where it gets it from, but that dude, the energy is through the roof. And I think a lot of times when you're in the quote unquote same business, sometimes if you're not a certain way or you're not as confident, a person that is high energy kind of you feel like you gotta be calmer or calm down and allow that person energy to kind of lead. And then you have those that don't that don't give a damn about <laughs> who you are. I'm gonna be me, and I think that's what you see with with Chad. And I think Coach Riley is that. You know, we're all men. We all bring value to the table. Uh, we're all here to win, and so I'm gonna get it done the way that I know how to get it done. Uh, 
uh, and my energy is going to match your energy. And I, and I think that's that's the difference tonight. You know, Kyle Richardson brought something up last week at his press conference with us that a lot of people probably hadn't thought about because, you know, when you're talking about inexperience with assistant coaches on Clemson staff, you talk about Wes Goodwin and, and Grisham and Spiller and others. He pointed out, I had never coached tight ends before last year. And so it was a – he got thrown into the grease too. And he feels like he's so much better now a year later having gone through right. that experience um, and will be a better tight ends coach as a result. Can you maybe elaborate on that? Um, and, and, I, you know, I never really thought of it that way just because you – when he gets promoted, you think, oh, passing game coordinator, tight ends, and – it does, never really dawned on me. Oh, has he ever co- has he ever coached tight ends? No, I I know he hadn't, and uh, you know, and that's that's one of the things I knew. That's some of the stuff, you know, as I know. Hey, he might not be able to teach in his first year as a coach. There's some things he's going to have to, you know, negate in order to get A done or B done. I can't do C and D, and so as a first year coach, you kind of have to put those priorities in perspective. So, yeah, I mean, that's a huge learning curve. And, and he hadn't really been an on-field coach at Clemson. So, you know, it's a lot that comes along with that. You got to prove that you can coach. You you feel like you got to prove to Coach Sweeney that you that you know what you're doing and that you can lead a room. Uh, and so I, I say this. I, I can sum it up to the change that Clemson experienced last year in my own terms. And that. I will say it like this, you know, we, we truly established a culture at Clemson and you had coaches coaching in that same culture for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden you had a change of, you know, OC, DC, um, position coaches. And with, 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 you know, some no experience to very little experience. And now you have to not only become a coach and give the culture to your players, but you're still learning the culture of Clemson. And you're learning it from a different perspective as a position coach, as a defensive coordinator, as an offensive coordinator. That's a ton of change. Yeah. It's a ton of change to the culture. So you're going to have some bumps in that. And I know Coach Sweeney understood that. But you're going to have bumps in that. You're not just bringing on players. You're bringing on new coaches, young coaches. Then the other side of that is, I'm a young coach. Who do I call on the staff? Who do I confide in? Who can I get experience and advice from? Well, you don't really have it because all of us are kind of somewhat in the same boat. Yep. And so that's what people got to realize. That's the grace that fans got to give Clemson is that, hey, man, that's a lot in that. But you look at what comes out on the other side and the possibility of what comes out on the other side, and I think that's what Coach Sweeney understands and what he understood. Yes, we'll be a little bumps. 
But once these guys get there, man, we rejuvenated. We got younger uh, as a staff. We got higher energy. We got folks that are that are building the culture back that's already established and doing it in their own way, but supporting the same culture. That's going to be invaluable in the future. You just hope the future is <laughs> this season or it could have been last season. And you still almost had it last year on one or two plays. That could have changed all of it. So so when he says to people, man, I think we're in, a, we're in the better, best position we've ever been at Clemson, and people look like, man, this dude is crazy. I think that's what he understands. It's that potential of it. And where we're at and and what it is. So that so that's to me that's that that sums up a lot of a lot of that and, and a lot of what's really going on at Clemson right now. Last question. You are a coach at Greenville High School. So I have to ask you. Blake mm-hmm. Blake Franks grew up a Clemson fan. Is it South committed to South Carolina? How did he end up getting away to South Carolina? <laughs> um, man, I honestly, I <laughs> as I look at it, South Carolina, you know, they worked that kid every day. They worked him as much as legal legally possible. And I just think that relationship and the time that they put in recruiting that kid is why he made his position. I mean, decision. Because I know he liked Clemson. I know he respect my son a whole heck of a lot. I know they talk. And I know he talked to Colin Sadler about Clemson. But I think at the end of the day, South Carolina just... They went at him with all full force. And I know they was in some form of communication with his family, with him, uh, as much as they could be. And I think at the end, that that is what won out in his decision. And he is a heck of a player and a great kid, and I wish we could have got him. Uh, because, and I'm not saying this, I'm saying this honestly. If you tell that young man, Hey, you know, we go work out four hours a day and we go run damn 200 miles. He'll say, yes, sir. And he ain't going to complain and he go work. If we go be out here five hours, yes, sir. We go be out here two hours, yes, sir. Every day. He's just unbelievable kid that don't even know with all the accolades he has, he don't even know that about himself. He just think he's just some... Ordinary kids just got to keep working, keep working, keep working. And I love that about him. He has no ego at all. Um, and so we missed on that one. Uh, I would say I, I feel like we that's one we should have got. Probably not going to sit well for Clemson fans to hear that they got outworked on a kid who grew up a Clemson fan. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, I don't know all what Clemson did and what they didn't do. I know 
just being, you know, coaching and being around, and I saw the 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 the, the, the effort and the time and all of that that South Carolina put in. I mean, they 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 worked to get that kid. Patrick Sapp, this has been the fastest hour of my life. Maybe it feels like <laughs> it feels like ten minutes. It was great, great conversation. <laughs> Man, I appreciate it, brother. Like always, I do. I got to run the headline by you for the podcast. Um, former Clemson great and father of Clemson players says Dabo Sweeney not criticized enough. <laughs> hey, that, I don't know. That might get some folks. I'm joking. That I'm joking. Get... <laughs> I'm not one of those guys. I understand. I understand where you were coming from. I'm just playing. <laughs> Hey, I, I, my phone will be, be ringing <laughs> off the hook by dang on. <laughs> nah, man. Oh, man. I appreciate it, as always. Man, I appreciate you. Keep doing the good work, man. And, uh, you know, keep an eye on my, keep an eye on my young man, uh, Josh. He, he is working his butt off, and I know, you know, he's pleased with what's going on. And hopefully this year he gets some get some time and, and, and welcome yourself to the Valley, man. So looking forward to it. All right. I am uh, honored to consider Patrick Sapp a friend and always a joy to catch up with him. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen as usual. And also as usual, thanks to every one of you for actually listening. Really appreciate it. Cheers. <laughs>